Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. When we first got married, Sherry, I wanted to have seven kids. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. In fact, I don't know why I put that in the past tense. I still want to have seven kids, <laughs> even though I've had a vasectomy. <laughs> I I still want to have seven kids. Okay, with your second wife? <laughs> <laughs> and my second penis? <laughs> well, there is the reversal. That sounds awful. No, I... I like, family was not ever a question for us. Well, it wasn't ever a question for me, but I think that you've said that you had a little more hesitancy than I did. I don't, I don't know why I was always so gung-ho. I was fearless. Now we have teenagers, and it is terrifying and not easy. It's very, very hard. You make them sound like they're bad teenagers. They're good kids, they're good. as far as we know, but I people thought I was a good kid, too, and I wasn't. So... It's way more challenging than I realized. But when we were in the stage of having the kids, again, I was fearless and this is what I wanted. How did you you feel about it? Cocky is maybe how you were? Cocky. Let's use cocky. Yeah, I like that. You were pretty damn cocky about how your parenting was. Yeah. Yeah. You would try to read, or you would not try, you would read books about parenting and I would say, I don't want to look at any of that garbage. I'm just going to use my instincts, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I learned that there's only one direction you should wipe a girl when you're cleaning up a poopy diaper. And I felt like that was all the education I needed. Everything else I would just figure out. Yeah. Yeah. But how did you feel about when I wanted seven kids and was super gung-ho... And no, it's not just because I was horny and I wanted to have sex. I really wanted to have kids. How did you feel about about it at that you know early stage, pre kids, or when we were starting to pop a couple out? Mm. Or you? Yeah, or I said you. we when we were Where popping a couple out. I thought you were ridiculous, and I thought he has no idea what he's getting into, and all different different kids, different personalities. Different challenges, different issues. And, of course, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching is the sound of the cash register going up on eyewear, orthodontics, you know, maintaining health care. I really am short-sighted because when they're babies, I mean, the actual birth is very expensive when you were in a situation like us where we owned our own business and didn't have good health care. That part was a big chunk of change. But after they were popped out, as I apparently (laughs) like to say... Uh, you know, we were very blessed with healthy children. They don't, you know, they don't cost anything when they're babies, uh, food wise or clothing wise. So I wasn't able to like look very far down the road at orthodontics and eyeglasses. I I wish this was a a video because you could see my eyes rolling and they don't cost anything when they're infants or food. (laughs) Yes, they do. They do cost money. But, but not, not as much you, as orthodontics or but we've yes. got hearing aids for one. I mean, that this stuff's yeah, expensive now. Exactly. So, but you know, because you don't know where it's going to lead and down the road. And then you've got different sports and I think music it's really, and lessons. I think it's really that. funny that our orthodontist has this, like his swag that he gives out now, which our, we've been with this orthodontist for like 72 years now, it feels like. <laughs> and he's always got something the kids are running around in his baseball hats or but his sh- current swag is a water bottle, and it it's apparently one that you love because you it's broke the best. You broke the lid, and you went back in and said, "Listen, we've had four kids in here. I think I can have another water bottle." Yeah, <laughs> and like demanded for <laughs> demand. the man for the thirty thousand or whatever mm. it is we've paid them at this point. I know. Point. I keep hoping, you know, like maybe he'll give me a discount on me because I'm gonna go back in after the kids are done. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely felt like I deserved another water bottle. But it is a great water bottle. It is a great It was funny, bottle. though. One day, like, the kids had on a t-shirt, and I was drinking out of it, and Joey was drinking out of the other water bottle, and, like, it was when your parents were down, and your dad's like, what's all this merch from your orthodontist? And I'm like, well, I guess we pay you well. Yeah. 
you, yeah. You every time you, you move to a new retainer, or yeah. I mean, I figure if like Kentucky Fried Chicken puts the logo on the NASCAR vehicle, they probably get that NASCAR driver's T-shirt for free. Mm-hmm. So, but he is really basically good. Basically supporting him, and I have recommended three families to him, so he's really good. But so no, this podcast episode is not about orthodontics. <laughs> Stick with us. The point that I'm trying to make about my desire for seven kids at the beginning. And this big family, I really, really, really believed in having a big family, wanted a big family. It was, it was a huge priority to me. I've, I've said this before, but very early on, before we had kids, I had this, this notion that I was going to work really, really hard 80 hours a week until I was 50 and then retire a millionaire. That was like plan A. And then as soon as the first kid popped out... <laughs> Um, my plan immediately changed and I wanted to spend as much time as possible with her. And so the idea that I would just, you know, be missing in action for the first, whatever that would be, 30 years while I was working and making money and then retire young, that like went right out the window. I, I wanted to spend time with our kids. So I, I've always wanted a big family and I've always in my mind... Very much so, and and expressing it as well outwardly to anyone who asked, my family, you, Sherry, and the kids were my top priority. Mm-hmm. There, there was never when I was drinking, there was never a question in my mind about that. That the number one thing, most important thing for me, was the safety and happiness and of my family, and that I provided for for my family. But. Reality, when you become a high-functioning alcoholic, is a little bit different than what the perception is that you give off to others and really the belief that you have in your own mind, the belief that I had in my own mind as the drinker. I, I would have you know, punched anyone in the throat that challenged me on the notion that my family was the top priority in my life. But... Everything I did, all evidence was to the contrary. Everything I did just proved that alcohol was the top priority in my life. And if anyone had said that to me, oh my gosh, that would have been a combination of embarrassing and infuriating. There were a few times when you and I were arguing where you would go there and say that, you know, I always prioritized alcohol over you. And I never even took a half a second to think about what you were saying before I started defending myself and pointing out all the things that I did for the family. And, you know, I work so hard and I I do this on the weekends with the kids and I coach their soccer and blah, 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 blah. I just immediately would go into list mode on telling you all the things that I did to prioritize the family. But if we ever, if we went out to eat, we were going to a restaurant with a liquor license. There was no, didn't matter if it was breakfast, lunch, or dinner. There was no question about that. I would, I would have nothing to do with a, a, a lunch without a beer in my hand or a dinner without a drink in my hand. And, you know, when we got invited to neighborhood parties, we would go as a family, but often you would leave with the kids early because I wasn't done drinking and I wasn't leaving yet. And, if we had, if it was something we had to drive to, then you and I had to battle over what time we were going to leave, which was always awful. And if it was something that we walked to, you would just walk home with the kids and leave me because you knew it was fruitless to try to convince me to come home and help you put the kids to bed and be a good parent. I remember one time leaving you out of town <laughs> for a, it was a one of our friends that owned a. A franchise of a bakery that we owned. It was they were selling their bakery, and and I think I had our youngest. He was an infant. Yes. And you did not want to leave, and it was a uh, fifty miles away. And I was like, "Well, I'm leaving because we have a babysitter for the other three. Yeah. And I have a newborn, and I'm tired. Yeah. So I'm leaving. Yes. Good luck getting home. Yes. Yes. Luckily, Good thing they were very yeah, nice. And they, they hosted the you and it was right. Yeah. Down. That was hosting the party was as drunk as I was, and I'm sure said they were good friends. I'll drive you home in the morning. Yeah. I'll drive you the 50 miles home in the morning. Yeah, and they did. They were they very were good, nice. Yeah, good friends. Maybe it wasn't 50 miles, but I don't know how far away that is. But. Well, you're probably not too far off. Yeah, it's several towns over. But so this, I think this is a really important concept. This idea that as high functioning alcoholics, 
we will go to our grave swearing that our family is our top priority and then we will do thing after thing after thing to prove that it's not to prove that alcohol is the top priority and it's really really important i think when you're in that state of mind as this drinker that's battling this thing and and is not at a place where you can own up to the fact that you are addicted to alcohol because you're still providing you're still going to work you know you're not wrecking cars you're not getting duis you're holding on to your marriage by your fingernails you're doing all these things that say look at me everything's fine and so the idea of even entertaining the notion that alcohol is a higher priority in your life than your family just sends you reeling over the edge and you have to admit to the addiction. As long as you can hold that at bay and at least believe in your mind and say with your words that my family and my friends are my top, my family's my top priority and then behind that would be my friends and my work and my extended family. All As long as you keep these things in front of alcohol on the priority list in your mind not in your actions, you can deny the alcoholism. But the truth, the truth is glaring for the people that are closest to you and can really see what's happening. And I want to tell a couple of, I want us to tell a couple of stories about the, you know, some of the, really some of the worst and most despicable times where despite the fact that we were doing something family oriented and I could brag to my friends if I wanted to about what a good family man I was, what a good father I was. The truth was something very different. The first one, do you remember when we went to Disney on Ice, Sherry? Yeah. I think we were at three kids at that point. I don't... Mm-mm. Oh, Andrew was born? No. It two was kids. Two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was even two further kids, ago. Yeah. Okay. So I asked you if you remember the story I'm going to tell. And, <laughs> and then I'll just have to correct you. You remember it much better than I do. I can, do you want me to tell the story? Sure. And you can add in the alcohol parts. Great. Okay. So it was, I can tell you it was May 12th. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, because that's your sister's birthday. That's so funny. We, we were emailing with someone just this week and she said one of the things that she most relates to about the podcast is when we talk about Sherry's painfully accurate <laughs> memory that won't go away. I can't even tell you what the kids were wearing. And here we are, <laughs> quoting the date. Do you remember what year? May Let's 12th see. of... So it would have had to have been 2005. Okay, so that's a long time ago. Yeah. That's 16 years ago. Yeah. So we went right after church, and it was at the, like, Western Complex. So where they have, like, the, the National big, Western the Stock National, Show so, Complex. You know, so it's a big area, and we know the parking is going to be, you know... A long haul, and it's March in Denver isn't always... You said May 12th. Did you mean March 12th? I, I'm sorry, March 12th. Okay. So it's... We know it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, because we've got, you know, basically a, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old was walking, but they looked so cute, and they were all dressed up and fancy, and of course our daughter, she's the oldest, and she was so excited. She was going to see princesses, and we didn't push that on her. That's just something that she kind of grew into. Like, we had very neutral toys, and we did not push the princess thing, but she loved playing dress up and, of course, dressing up her brother, but we said, we're going to dress fancy, so we leave right after church, and we go, and we get our tickets, and we're, like, way at the top. Yes. Way at the top. I mean, it might have but been the last row. Or maybe I don't know the second if we, to last I think row. we were like in the last row of the section, but it was just a small section at the top. Yeah. But I just remember, I kind of felt guilty, but we didn't know it was coming to town. I mean, I didn't know that it was coming to town or it was an annual event because um, we hadn't lived here long. So we kind of got our tickets last minute and it's not like we were being super duper cheap because this was going to be a big family event. You know, we were going to... Go to town on these princesses' eyes. We were Go to town on these princesses? <laughs> I, just, I mean, we were like... <laughs> I was thinking, like, we were all dressed up. Yes. It was nice. It was, it was so it was, cute. It was very nice. <clears throat> we had to fight off the hordes of, like, you know... All the people, the vendors that are selling crap outside, and we're like, no, we're going to go and we're enjoy We're here for the, the princesses. We're here for the princesses. Let us get after those Not princesses. the glow sticks. <laughs> Not the glow sticks. And the so do you want to tell the cute story about what Catherine did? Yes. Cute and I, heartbreaking? Heartbreaking. So, of course, you know, the princesses come around. They want to bring some of the kids on ice. Who do they choose? They choose the kids that are sitting right up front, right? They're not going way to the top of the rafters. And she is holding her hand up and holding her hand up. And 
She just wanted to be chosen to be one of the kids to come down on the ice with the princesses. I mean, it would have taken 25 minutes to get down <laughs> to the ice from where we were. We were so far away. And I felt so bad. Yes. That was hard. I loved her, like, unrealization of, I am, they can't even see me up here. Yeah. They've turned all the house lights on. Total innocence. But still, you can't see me. Yeah. So I felt so terrible. And then I, you know, of course, got that mother's guilt of, well, if I did gotten better seats, and then I was like, you know. So you had some mother's guilt. Let me tell you what I was experiencing. We've talked a lot about rules around drinking. During the period when I was trying to keep this thing under control and not admit that I was an alcoholic and not have to quit, there were many, many different iterations of the rules that I put around my drinking. At that particular day, which apparently was March 12, 2006, did you say? Five. Five, sorry. Um, the rules around my drinking at that time were I... And I, I'm going to get the timing maybe a little off. I think it was I could drink beer from until like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So from like noon to 3, I would allow myself to drink beer. But then I had to have this few hours of sober period before I had my cocktails in the evening. My vodka cocktails in the evening. So I was stressing hard because I wanted to make sure we got home by... 2 or 2.30 so I could slam a couple beers before 3 when I would my self-imposed rule was that I would cut myself off before I would start drinking vodka again in the evening. And that is all I could think about. How sad and pathetic is that? We're dressed up. It's a nice event. Our daughter is showing this unbridled enthusiasm in the last row. Have I never told you this before? I'm sorry. It's sick. It is. It's very sick. It is. And looking back now, in the state of mind that I'm in now, it's almost unimaginable. Yeah. I mean, it's also kind of frightening to think that I didn't realize back then you were trying to contain it. We had been, you know, together for 10 years at that point. Yeah. Really, or a little over. And, like, from dating... And that's pretty hard to imagine that you were even at that point figuring out that you needed to have rules, that yeah. you needed to contain it. Well, the what the rules are is pretty clear indication that I was at the early stages. My rules were I could drink lots and lots of beer for a three-hour period, and then I could drink vodka for a two-hour period. I mean, it wasn't there wasn't much containing going on, and this was a school night. It was Sunday, so it was work the next day. So it wasn't like a weekend when it was, you know, all all holds barred or no holds barred. Mm. But but yeah, it it's sick. It's sick. But here I am at this event that we've, you know, we might have had the cheap seats, but we still, Disney's not cheap in any seats. So mm -hmm. we'd spent a good amount of money and we... We dressed up, and it was this family outing, and we got to watch our daughter, you know, um, show so much enthusiasm for the princesses, and that's me prioritizing my family when really I was hell-bent on making sure we got out of there. You know, and I probably said something like, oh, you know, let's, I don't think we left early necessarily, but we left immediately when it was over. And I probably had something about, oh, I, you know, if we if we jog a little across the parking lot, we can beat the traffic and we won't have to wait in line for the traffic. And again, sounds good, right? On the outside, sounds like a good father trying to take care of his family. But what I was thinking was I got to get home so I can slam some beers before my cutoff time. I didn't realize I'd never told you that. I didn't mean to drop that on you. That's okay. But that's what prioritizing family looks like for a high-functioning alcoholic not going to leave you here. I'm not going to leave without you. But man, I got to get to my booze. The second story I know you know. We've, we've, you and I have talked about it many times, but it was, do you remember the date of Christmas tree day when, well, you know the story I'm going to tell. It was, it wasn't terribly long ago. It was toward the end of my drinking. So I'm going to take a 
stab and say it was December of 15, 2015. We had all four of the kids. Our youngest would have been coming up on five. And we, what we, in Colorado, we're very blessed. We can buy a permit for cheap. I think it's 20 bucks now. It was 50, it was 10 bucks back then. A permit to go out in the forest with your saw and just trudge around in the snow amongst the pine trees on the side of a mountain and cut down the tree that you pick and then drag it back to your car and take it home. And we make a whole day of it. It's one of my two favorite days of the whole year. I love Christmas tree day. It's a big family deal. The volunteer fire station that's on the edge of the Christmas tree cutting area has a big chili feast. And we, we go in and get hot dogs and chili and Santa's there and the kids sit on Santa's lap. I mean, this is Norman Rockwell painting like personified. This is as ideal as it can get. You forgot the most important one. Oh, Smokey the Bear is Smokey there. Smokey the Bear is there because we're in the National Forest. You know how a lot of couples have that, what do they call it? The the one person that um, their spouse is allowed to sleep with if they ever get the opportunity. I think it's Smokey the Bear for you. Some some park ranger wearing that costume is going to get real lucky one day. Maybe you should put the costume on. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Well, he's very handsome and he's very safe. He is very safe. Very safe. (laughs) Oh my God, that's funny. Yeah, so Smokey the Bear's there, Santa, Chili, Christmas tree, family. Triple chocolate cake death. (laughs) Like they sell desserts. But it's a fundraiser, so it's it's a makes you feel good to spend the money there. Oh yeah. Because they're fundraising and I have firefighters in my family, so everything about it. As, yeah. it, as it compares to going to Home Depot and spending 50 bucks on a Christmas tree. That's perfect. And this is beautiful. so much better. Oh, the trees are terrible. I mean, they can barely hold ornaments. <laughs> they're so, they're, they're thin and spindly and, yes. but they're real. They're authentic. They're, yes. they're what a mountainside Christmas tree is supposed to look it's like. A, it is a very, very fun day and the kids like it. It is. As they've all grown out of their car sickness phases, it makes it even better. Absolutely. So... So on this particular Christmas tree day, it was a Saturday, and Friday night, I don't have any idea what we did, but I drank a lot, so much so that I woke up still a little buzzed. I wasn't hungover, and I wasn't full of regrets and shame, as often was the case. I was still half drunk. So I decided, while I was taking a shower and getting ready for the Christmas tree adventure, extravaganza, I'd have a couple beers, and I'd just kind of sneak them in my coffee cup. And I did that and got a pretty good buzz on. And off we went to the forest. I drove, of course, which is terrible and makes me really embarrassed and full of regret. But we got out there and, you know, there's this big rock that the kids like to climb on. I mean, it's huge. It's it's a lot of fun. We Everything was going great. But as the day wore on, my buzz wore off and my dehydration came. I remember dehydration specifically and exhaustion because when you drunk sleep is not restorative in case anyone listening to this doesn't already know that so i whatever amount of hours of sleep i had gotten on friday night were useless so i've got my family in the car buzz is worn off and i'm driving us back out of the forest and i'm basically falling asleep at the switch and i thought i know what i need i need a beer how can I arrange this so that I can get a beer without looking like a total drunk? And about a third of the way home, there is an intersection where there's a bar that I don't know that we had ever stopped at at this point, but maybe we had once before. But I decided we would stop there for hot chocolate. We were going to take the kids to a bar, like a biker bar, like I mean, it does. Let's let's do qualify this. It did serve food because we had stopped there before and had burgers. A biker bar and grill. But it's a biker bar and grill because this is a nice like path that a lot of bikers like to take this highway. Nothing against bikers. I love bikers. Yeah, it's very beautiful and scenic and windy. And but it is a biker bar. Yeah. So we're gonna. So that's where I decided to get hot chocolate. Now we're gonna go through a couple of. Foothills Mountain Towns on the way home, Conifer being one, Evergreen for anyone that's familiar with Colorado. So the chances of finding a place that appropriately sells 
hot chocolate because that's high on their list of, of things that they sell. Very good. Very good that I could have found that. But no, I take us to a biker bar for hot chocolate. And I hold my breath as I ask the server, do you guys have hot chocolate? And she looks at me kind of funny and basically says, yeah, I think there's like an old canister of cocoa in the back and we've got some lukewarm water we can pour that into. And I'm <laughs> like, great, sold. sold. <coughs> like lukewarm water. Well, I mean, she coffee, basically so. looked at me like, nobody ever orders hot chocolate here. Yeah. What's the matter? I said, I'll take four of those. And oh, by the way, can I have a beer while you're bringing those out? As though it was an afterthought. Because family was first. Family was top priority. And I just wanted this this beer. Because while we were here, I might as well have something. And I'm not going to drink hot chocolate. And so you were pretty upset at this point. Were you upset because you just totally saw through my ruse or had I behaved poorly during the day? Why were you upset? Um, I do feel like at that point I I saw through it and I was like, I felt like, what a selfish fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's no, just right. what, like, you know, because, and I guess I didn't realize until we were talking about this, um this particular event, this particular time, because we used to always come home and we wouldn't fully decorate the tree. Now the kids were smaller, so it took them longer to get around the woods. And, you know, like this last year we got our tree and and um, we didn't have the big event. So maybe two years ago we got our tree and it was all decorated by that night. Like, because you had to come home and you were like barely put the lights on. I didn't realize that it was probably because of all the alcohol that you had consumed the night before or... I know sometimes you would take, you know, peppermint hot chocolate, and I'm sure you had a beers a few times in there. Sure. So, I just, I, and when we got there, I was like, oh my gosh, terrible place, and... The bar was the a bar. terrible place, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it had been good food, but then I was like, well, are we going to order, you know, we had just eaten, and why are we having hot chocolate? We had hot chocolate in the car. We had had it on our... Oh, I forgot about had, that. You brought hot chocolate I with us. I always bring hot chocolate with us. And, and I we still eat, drink it through the woods. Her, like, that's how lame my excuse and was. And I was like, this is pretty ridiculous. And, yeah. yeah. Well, and then so, the kids were sitting there drinking hot chocolate, and they were, like, looking at the video games and the pool and the darts. And so, what did you do? I had another beer. And you decide to make the kids want to stay by letting them play the video games. And, oh, yeah. Well, the hot the chocolate was and... was only halfway working since we had already had hot chocolate in the car. So I had to have another another way to prove that I was a, fa- a great father in spite of the fact that the alcohol was the real reason we had stopped. Mm-hmm. I remember being at the Denver Zoo once with your aunt who was in town from Montana and like leaving the group at one point because I knew they sold beer, but it you know they didn't sell it everywhere, and I had to now they do. traipse halfway across the zoo to find a beer. But I remember being conflicted, like you know, should I stay with the family? Oh, they're here, they're at the zoo. I got them here. I delivered them here. I did the right thing. I'm a good father. There's other people drinking. Why can't I drink? So I'm gonna leave the family, and it's gonna take me half an hour to find the beer, and then find them again because they'll have kept walking. And just there's. Case after case. The the Christmas tree day and the Disney on ice are probably the two most, I mean, just blatant examples of, of this contradiction. I'm trying my best to put the thing that should be at the top of my priority list, make it the top priority. But everything that's going on in my brain and some of my actions are showing the truth. And the truth is, I just need a drink really, really bad. It wasn't a physical addiction. It was, it, it had just taken over my mind. It was so important to me to get that relaxation, I would call it. But just that relief from the chaos going on in my mind. So you spent many years in P2, position number two priority wise, because alcohol was always the top priority. And as we've come to learn, as we work with so many other people, that are dealing with this diabolical disease, that is, if it's not 100%, it's very close. In in relationships that are dealing with alcoholism, the drinker puts the alcohol uh, as priority number one. Everyone else 
falls somewhere down on the list, and the drinker never admits it, at least not until they're trying to get sober. So then sobriety comes, and did you think, what, what was your, like, like when I, because I, maybe this is hard because I tried so many times to get sober and failed, so I don't know if this last time when I finally was actually making it, I don't know what your expectation level was as far as, you know, would you get to stop being second fiddle and be the top priority in my life? Or, or did you just not even care at that point? Because I had, you know, just done so much damage to the relationship. Do you remember any any specific feelings? Well, it's been a little while and I don't remember specific feelings. But probably at that point, I would gather my feelings were like, I just don't even care. Yeah. I mean, I had become pretty complacent. And if I could just be left alone, that was kind of where I was. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's probably right. But when I think back to what I did in early sobriety, one of the things that I remember doing, I did multiple times, I would get in my Jeep with the top down, didn't care what the temperature was. I was going to go have this cathartic, therapeutic drive into the mountains and you know no radio the the just the wind and i was going to think about how much determination and willpower i needed to be sober and i was going to think through scenarios that i would be in and just convince myself that sobriety was my my permanent destination and get these thoughts of alcohol out of my head and so i would just rely on you to be here with the kids and make dinner and you know, take care of homework. And I would just check out again, just like I did sometimes when I drank, I would check out in sobriety because I needed to go fix my brain and, and, and get right with, with myself. Yeah. Did you feel abandoned sometimes? I suppose I did feel a little abandoned. I know that, um, but that's kind of the life we had lived a little bit. So actually you not being here, being moody, was that kind of a blessing in a way? Me not being here rather than being here and being yeah. moody? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, like when you were drinking and in early sobriety, it wasn't like you were very pleasant all the time. I mean, I'm not saying you walked around the house like just, you know, miserable and yelling at everybody. But we, we didn't know when you were drinking what was going to make you spin a certain way. And also then with the sobriety and the beating up of yourself and... The situation and probably I would say like the sadness of realizing that you were giving up this thing that you loved still made not, you still at this point not able to admit that it was a top priority over you and the kids or had yeah. been a top priority over you and the kids. But but you make a good point. How could I not have just looked at the amount of sadness I felt <laughs> yeah. over giving up the alcohol and not realized? Yeah. I mean, I was basically divorcing alcohol. Yeah. You weren't divorcing; you were burying. Uh, yeah, yeah. If, I mean, at that at this particular time, you knew that it was that you had to give it all up. Yeah, be done, 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 because you had tried so many times before, and you. So I feel like I looked at it like you were divorcing, and you would sometimes have visits. You know, <laughs> sneak away with your ex-wife, like. Just get- Get you one know, last just because you would like, and then yeah, from alcoholism. You know, like if you relapsed, and then um, yeah. So this time it was like you were grieving this best friend. Yeah, and that's how I looked at it. I looked like you were losing your best friend because that was your best friend in my mind for many years. At that point, alcohol was your love, your best friend. Um, but I felt like when you would just up and leave I was like okay see you later I don't know where you're going but at least you're out of here and we're not going to have this black cloud hanging around or temperamental sad sack so and and I want to make the point you know something else I wanted to add one of the things that I did on a nightly basis in early sobriety was I would spend half hour 45 minutes an hour reading reading the memoirs of alcoholics who would come before me reading uh, more clinical information about brain chemistry, but every night I read, and everyone in the family knew to leave me alone when I was reading. I would sit in that chair in the living room, 
and create myself a little cocoon-like situation, and I would read. And it was very therapeutic, and it was very important. And I believe in it. I, I tell people that are in our Shout Sobriety program all the time how important it is to, to have that, to, ha- to have that replace. Because it was basically taking the place of my nightly cocktails when the witching hour would hit, the witching hour being the period of time when the temptation and cravings were the highest. And so I think it's necessary. I think if you're an AA person, your meetings are necessary. There's no question about it. The fellowship, the connection, if you work the steps, working the steps is necessary. If you read like I did, reading is necessary. But it still leaves you in second place. You're still taking a backseat to the addiction, even in sobriety, as a result of that. Whether I'm getting in the car and driving away, or I'm sitting in the corner and reading, or the third thing that I did a lot of was incessantly talking to you about what I was learning. So I would read these memoirs or read the uh, uh, clinical stuff, the brain chemistry stuff, and then I would rush in to tell you everything I was learning. And so I think it's very interesting if you think of it as almost a betrayal, if you think of it as the alcohol as the other woman, sort of. I'm basically in there telling you all the bad things the other woman woman did to me, and I'm sure... I would just call her your best friend. Okay. Yeah, because you, you weren't the cheating type. Okay. Not very much, you know. Okay. Who's your buddy, though? Yeah. And you had... You hated my buddy. Yes. And you had seen enough of my buddy, and you didn't want to hear about my buddy at all. Yeah. So when you're describing the reading, I felt like that was a very... And you said the kids couldn't come around. I felt like that was a very good example of self-care, though, to our kids, that, like, Dad needs to work on this, Mm -hmm. and this is what he needs, and this is his time to work on this. So it kind of said to our kids and gave them permission. Oh, this is how we take care of ourselves. Yes. And I think that was a good example of of a self-care and a self-love act. And I didn't mind it. Usually it was during the time that I was making dinner and they were either doing homework or having electronic time while the dinner was going. Because the witching hour happened all at once in our family, I think. Like, you know how they say the witching hour for toddlers is when you're always making dinner and that would be your cravings because you would have cocktails and talk to me while I made dinner. (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me. So I feel like that was that was an okay example, but the thing that aggravated me the most, and I just wanted to bolt the kitchen door shut, was when I heard the closing of the recliner, and I'm like, shit, he's going to come in here and tell me what he just read, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So put on a happy face and roll my eyes, like, you know, in my head and not outward. So you're yeah, right, though. I didn't want to hear what you just learned because because it didn't matter what you were learning it was going to be mattering what you were gonna do yeah like you can and you had heard me talk about it so much that it was just irritating at that yeah. point i mean because some of your memoirs you had read for off and on for a few years before this final sentence some of them i read while i was still drinking yeah. Which is bizarro. I would read them when I was sober, and then it was so good that even when I was drinking, I would... Because I think I knew it was coming. I knew sobriety was coming. And so, yes, some of them... It's a slow death. Yes. My my best friend died a very slow death. Yeah. But I, I just... You know, because we had gone down that road before. But I knew that some of it was totally different. It was catching and sparking your interest. Um, with like the brain chemistry and that sort of stuff. So my my sobriety was still super important, top priority. Again, I'll say it one more time. I'm you can't have it any other way. I'm not suggesting to anyone who is in early sobriety or the loved one of anyone who's in early sobriety that their sobriety shouldn't take top precedence in their life at that time. It has to. If they're going to make it, it has to. But that doesn't mean it doesn't suck for the loved ones around them to still, even in sobriety, be in second position at best because alcohol and the aftermath are still in the first position, still the number one priority. The other thing that was very interesting about that time, so I'm prioritizing my sobriety. You're encouraging me basically to prioritize my sobriety, even though there's a lot of things about it that are irritating to you. But we weren't even talking about your recovery. There was no, no, even just 
glimmer of a thought in my head that you would need to do something to get healthy. See a therapist, go to Al-Anon, read a book, none of it. None of it. I mean, I think I did read um, a couple books that talked about like brain chemistry for some of it and you would share with me some of that but for so many years you, you we read kept... my books you yeah didn't and, read and codependency I... books necessarily at my suggestion you didn't yeah. you might have done that of your own you, yeah you might have sought those out on your own well there was but the... i wasn't seeing any need for you yeah but for... i thought you were going to be blessed with this sober husband and wasn't that the greatest gift i could ever give you is this sobriety Oh, yes, I remember many times, I've quit drinking, what more can you do I have to do? That you said to me. Yes. Um, but. Very charming. Yes. Um, Did I use that voice from the, no. the Wicked Witch Oh, well, maybe the one time, you know, maybe one time. I quit drinking for you. <laughs> yeah. And you're. What more do you want from me? And you're worse. Like a troll. <laughs> well, that's what you were to me a lot of times, a troll. Yes. Um. I forgot what I was going to say, and it was important. Oh, you should but take for notes many, like I do. <laughs> but for many years, we had said, "If I quit drinking, Sherry, or you said, if I quit drinking, Sherry, all of our problems will go away." And I felt like I knew that there had been so much crap that had happened, but also I was a little scared, and I didn't want to believe that. I needed to do things, and I thought, oh, well, maybe there is some some credence to that. Like, if he quits drinking, then we won't have these stupid arguments. Or if he quits drinking, you know, then he doesn't behave poorly. Or I don't have to clean up messes, or I don't have to, like, hide. Like, clean up messes, not like you were vomiting around. But Sometimes. Clean up. You not clean often. Up. I made you clean that up. But, like, clean up whatever, you know, like, that you broke, or that... Um, those are the emotional messes. Yes. So I thought, well, those will become less, and so then, then I'll just start being better and happier. I didn't realize how angry and holding on to things I had. So you read a couple of books, but you didn't realize that you really needed right. to roll up your sleeves. Like I, I read the books on, like, it was the difference between, what was the difference between someone who binges and abuses alcohol versus an alcoholic. That was like one of the books like... Uh, yeah, back still lot. trying to diagnose whether I was an alcoholic or yeah. not. Yeah, and then I read Which one so much wasted time. about like letting go of anger, but it didn't talk anything about like codependency or anything. Didn't and you read, read If a, You Love Me, You'll Stop? Yeah. Is that Michelle Anderson's book? No. No. Sorry. Lisa Fredrickson. Lisa Fredrickson. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very a blog. popular one. Yeah, and I think, and that was one that kind of d- talked about whether it was an alcoholic or someone who just abuses alcohol. But now I think it's revised, and they're they kind of get rid of that yeah. notion. Yeah. But so you so you were doing some limited work, but I had no idea you needed to do any work because I just thought the gift of my sobriety would be the gift that keeps on giving. And boy, is it ever <laughs> the gift of Matthew. Gosh, the weren't gift you blessed? Of God. <laughs> That's what your name means. Right? <laughs> That's whenever Sherry is. I'm talking to the audience now. I'm not talking to you right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Whenever Sherry is mad at me, she reminds me that what Matthew in Latin or whatever <laughs> means gift from God or Hebrew or something. I don't know. But she loves to say that whenever. <laughs> When, so, yeah. Anyway, the gift that keeps on giving, Matt's sobriety. Aren't you lucky? Maybe that's the title of this podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. But so, so you know, fast forward to where we are now. You were the second priority. You and the kids were the second priority in my active alcoholism. You and the kids were the second priority in my early addiction and kind of needed to be in order for me to get and stay sober but now it's different and I can say with confidence and with pride and without you know any hesitation that you and the kids are the number one priority in my life I still struggle I get a little out of whack with the amount of time I spend working versus not working and that's something that I'm still working on but there's no question in my mind that I would drop everything for you guys as needed and 
this time that we all spend together is a lot more quality time. We've moved past the slob, slobbering, sobbing puddle stage of early sobriety where I'm just moping around the house all the time and, and sad and I've got my joy back. And I like I, like I said, I have no hesitation about saying that. How do you feel? Do you feel a difference? Do you feel like you're the top priority in my life now? Uh, yeah, I do. I feel like like we have created, you know, we we had to close our bakery. Our lease wasn't renewed and moving just wasn't an option uh, to a new location. So you're here at the house and that was an adjustment. <laughs> Instead then, of being working outside the house. Yeah. Yes, I see. So you are more accessible and more attainable. If we need you. And more all up in your business <laughs> too. Right? That has taken that has taken a while to kinda of get used to. Yes. And then COVID hit and now we just don't know any different. Like Yeah, we like went into COVID quarantine like a couple of years before everyone else. <laughs> yeah, basically. kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um already like kind of just home buddies. Yeah. But but I will say like when you are working on something at home, if we need to come and get you and you can say, you know, just a moment or you know, in a nice way, like I'm just not at that point. And I just think how much different it would be if you were drinking and working from home. Oh, that'd be a nightmare. God, I feel bad for everybody who is going through that situation. Yeah. The way their spouse is yeah. drinking and working from home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, what a nightmare. So, and I think, you know, I think that it is very good. I think the kids like knowing that you're going to be home and that you're accessible. And we even had an incident where our middle child, middle son, uh, hit a parked car <laughs> on his bicycle and rolled on top and dented this brand new shiny red car. He didn't roll on top. He slammed his helmeted or, head on the Or he likes to say he like, was like a breaching oh, whale. He, he's I'm got sure he just like crushed in there. About but. What I loved was, who did he call? He called you. He did. Because he, either he remembered that I was going to go out, and I'm not always great about answering my phone. That's also number two, is I'm not great about hearing or getting to my phone in time. But he knew he could count on Dad answering his phone. And Dad was at home and could come and help out. Yes. So I definitely think that that is just an... An exam, a small example of how you are prioritizing us. And he called you, didn't call me, where he would be fearful of how you would react. Yeah. That surprised me a little, actually. But I was grateful for that call. Yes. I mean, as grateful as you can be for a call when your kid's done $10,000 worth of damage to a parked car. But I was grateful to that for that call, for yeah. sure. And I was grateful that he was fine and he was wearing his helmet. <laughs> That was your that secondary was thought because that was my first thought. Is he okay? Oh, I, I think so. He went ahead and met up with his friends. I think was your response, but yeah, yeah, no, he was he was good. Yeah, he was good. One of the things that we talk about with people a lot is that the drinker in their life, the alcoholic in their life, it it just isn't a safe place. I'm not I'm not just making the end of this podcast episode about you giving me kudos. But I think that word safe is an important one. Am I a safe place for you now? Yeah, and it's definitely taking taken a lot of retraining in my brain yes. and practice. Yes. And practice and practice of going to you to talk to you about things that make me feel uncomfortable or a financial situation. And I've had to just kind of open myself up to allow those things to happen. And then also... Towards the beginning of those things, I would say, and how am I, Sherry, going to react if he decides to fly off the handle about this or give some sort of snotty comment that makes me feel bad? You know, how am I going to handle it? Yeah. Am I going to yell back? Am I going to huff? Am I going to say, well, that's not how I wanted it to go or that hurt my feelings? Like, what is going to be my reaction in it? Because I know I often overreacted to a lot of things out of fear. And I didn't have quite the fear built up so I could contain and control my my response if it didn't go well. Yeah. Do you think that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes practice. It takes time. But I'm certainly happy with where we are. It makes me, if I'm going to call myself a priority, 
for my fa- or call my family my top priority, it's important that I feel like a safe place for you and the kids. Super important. Most important. So I'm glad to hear that you feel that way and that we've gotten there. One of the biggest changes for me, from my perspective as the drinker, it, the drinker that's now in permanent sobriety, is that I now listen with genuine interest. I feel like before there was so much chaos in my mind and everything was about when's the next drink going to be? How do I get to the next drink? How do I massage this situation so that I can drink even though it it looks like my priority is the family? All of that kind of chaos and clutter in my head. I know it sounds cheesy to say it this way, but I feel like the the gift of listening, the ability to listen is a is a real gift and and not have that clutter or something else, some ulterior motive like legitimately want to hear what you're working on here, Andrew, with this comic strip that you're drawing and hey Nick, this song you're playing on the piano, what song is that? And I'm not just I'm not just trying to make small talk as I pass through to the beer refrigerator. I really I really want to hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. And Joey, do we need to get you a new helmet after you <laughs> destroyed the hood of that car? I really want to know, Joe. So it's a much better place to be. And so if you're not there, if you're in early sobriety or even not yet too early sobriety, and your life feels a little bit like something that we described earlier... Hang in there. It takes time. I'm going to end on this, if you don't mind. Please. Have you noticed the new smoking ad commercials that are on? Television commercials? Television commercials. For smoking? Smoking. You know how they used to have the people that would show them using microphones down by their... Oh, like PSAs against smoking. Yes. Okay. Yes, sorry. No, I haven't noticed. Yeah. Well, the new ones have been kind of um, little more tugging of your heartstrings of like if you don't want to quit smoking Mm -hmm. think about quitting smoking for the people that you love because you know they're going to be the ones that have to take care of you Mm. and this kind of made me think about this is we say you say as an alcoholic that family is priority and I know that we say you need to quit drinking for yourself but if you talk the talk of family is priority and if alcohol is causing issues in your relationship whether you think you're an alcoholic or not you should look at it like well this is I'm not prioritizing my family's needs and wants and you know I'm not understanding their issues with alcohol yeah in my mind it was a little bit no clearer but I know that we can't have alcohol as a high priority and your family as the top priority, those two yeah. things can't really coexist. So you have to like you have to be respectful and listen. If if your family's saying alcohol is a problem for our family with your drinking and you don't believe it, you know. Yeah, it probably is. Yes. It always is. It always is. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having this conversation, Sherry. Sorry I sprung that story on you. No, it was it was good. I'm glad that we're at this place now where it just made me sad and, and I'm not going to have a resentment about it. I'm just glad you're sitting next to a box of Kleenex. <laughs> Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, We're ready for you at ShoutSobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.